Thank you for tuning into this teaching. We hope this message blesses you. Our mission as Marigold Church is to do anything and everything so that anyone and everyone can encounter the real Jesus. We hope as you listen to this, you encounter the real Jesus. Let him transform your mind, transform your heart, and encounter you today. How many of you like when people are nice? We all like when people are nice, right? Jennifer is always telling me, can't you just be nice? Why can't you just be nice? Be sweet. Be sweet. When you're up there, can you please be sweet? I can't believe you said that. That didn't sound very sweet. That didn't sound nice. I get this every, that's why I was like, you know what, forget it. Go back there with the kids. All right, and so, you know, and so, and so, and so you need to go, and you go be nice with back there. But, but no, it's it just, we, this nice, and what is nice? I, I looked up what, what nice, because well, so, we talk about, can't you be nice? What is nice? Nice is three things, pleasant, agreeable, and satisfactory. Those are, the, those are the three definitions of what nice is. And um, I, I, think it's a, I think there's an issue with being nice. I think we're too nice. I think so many times, I think especially in, our, in the context of our culture, being nice is like the 11th commandment, right? You have the other 10 that no one can memorize, but number 11 in this country is definitely you got to be nice, right? Because if people are not nice, I can't believe they were not nice to me. The waiter, why wasn't they nice? The person that I, why, I don't understand. Why can't they just be nice? Be nice. The customer's always right. I Be nice to me. But there's three things that I, I, I kind of was thinking of when, when talking about being nice and things that have really just crept into the church because Culture, if we're not careful, will creep into the church. And the church in and of itself should never mirror culture. We shouldn't do things just to be like anti-culture. But we should never be like, it shouldn't be like a knee-jerk reaction. Like, oh, whatever it's culture, we're going to do the opposite. Because then you can go off on some other deep end. But, but we should never be a mirror image of what, of what culture is doing. Because Christ has his own culture. He has his own way of doing things. And that's who we need to be like. But I think in many times we've chosen political correctness over biblical correctness. Political correctness is something that, you know, you can't say that. You can't say that. That's not very polite. You're not going to win the people's minds and hearts talking like that. And so, and so we're like, well, but it's, it's biblical. I know, but it's not very polite. It's not very, so we get political. How can I win people? I want to win people. How can I win favor with people? And I do believe in, in having favor with people, but not at the cost of losing favor with God. Because if you have the favor of people, but you lose the favor of God, what have you gained? Scripture, what is, what is it, what is it uh, profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his very soul, right? So we can, be, we can choose political correctness over biblical correctness. The, other, the next thing is neutrality over reality. There's a thing right now called gender fluidity. How many of you have heard of that? They're gender fluid. Well, I, I really don't. I really don't, you know, I don't really see myself as this, and I don't really see myself as that. I'm, I'm just me. I'm me. It's a very neutral, you know, it's like, well, there, there can't be boys' restrooms and girls' restrooms, because in the end, aren't we all just people? No, there are boys and there are girls. That's the reality. There are male and female. That is a reality. There are differences between us, and God has ordained it that way. And so if we're trying to be neutral, what happens is neutrality will take the place of reality. And then you have people that are confused beyond just gender confusion, but just confused in general. Can I stand for this? Can I say that? What is, well, the Bible says this. Yeah, but that really hurts people's feelings. 
And we can try to find this neutrality and lose, lose, a, lose our, our grasp on reality. And I do believe in open-mindedness, but open-mindedness towards what the Lord says. Am I open to what the Lord says? There's, a, there's someone who says, uh, you know, don't be so open-minded that your brain falls out. And, and so many times what happened is, is we've, been, we've been so open-minded. Well, I just, I just want to open, um, open myself to every idea because I don't want people to feel excluded. I don't want But the reality is Christianity, for all of its inclusiveness, is it, it's exclusive. What's, it's inclusive of anyone who believes. It's exclusive of anyone who doesn't believe. So, because there is a, a, a line drawn in the sand, right? And the last one is niceness over righteousness. Niceness over righteousness. Choosing to be nice versus choosing to be righteous. Sometimes we choose niceness over holiness. And my question to you is this. Have we traded the gospel of Jesus Christ for the gospel of being nice? Have we traded the gospel of Jesus Christ for the gospel of being nice? Now, what's brought this about? And I was thinking about this, and these were the three things that I, I really kind of honed in on. One is the swinging pendulum, right? It's a, there's a swinging pendulum. Now, I, I, I grew up, I grew up in actually in a very healthy church. I really did. And, and, you know, for anything that, that, that would, could be negative said, I, I can, I, you know, no church is perfect. We're not perfect. There's no church that's perfect, right? But for all intents and purposes, it was a healthy church. They, they, they taught healthy. It was good health. It was, it was not a workspace, but they, but they put you to work. You know, they, they believed in serving and giving and, and all these things. But, but I, I also saw a lot of churches in, in that that were very hardcore judgmental. It was just like, no matter what, you're a young person, judged. Why? Because you're young and we know how young people are. And it's just like, I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I'm here to figure it out. I don't know. You're young. Piercings, going to hell. Tattoos, right behind them. And like, it's just like, I, I, I. I, I, you know, it was just like, what, what like, where do I stand? Like, I, there's nothing I can do. You got that tattoo? You better hope that thing rubs off. It's a cross. Oh, no. You know, it's just, no. And it was just so, you, can, you get places that are so judgmental. Well, the, the pendulum effect is that the next generation said, we're not going to be that. So we're going to be all the way on the other side where everything is okay. You want to do that? That's okay. I'm cool with it. You know, there's a thing called grace. Grace. Don't you know of God's love? He welcomes all. Aren't we all children? Well, I don't know. The Bible says that you can be a child of the devil. So no, we're not all children of God. You get to choose that. You, if you choose to follow him, he adopts you into his family. But no, other than that, you're a child of the devil. So no, we're not all children. So there's this pendulum effect like, oh, they did it this way, so I'm going to swing way over there. Now here's the, here's the problem is now this next generation, if we're not careful, because it's all been love, love, grace, everything's included, and now everything's falling apart. It can go way to the other side of, back to the other side of judgment, everything, everything. I said a, a couple of months ago, teasing, you know, right now it's okay that I'm dressed like this. The next generation, I guarantee, suit and ties, I guarantee it. It's going to go way the other way. Tuxedos even, I don't know. But, it, you know, there's this, there's a, there, there tends to be a pendulum swinging to the, to the other side. And what happens is it's a knee-jerk reaction to, to the experience versus just looking in the Scripture and saying, hey, this is what the Scripture says. That's what I need to follow. The next thing is a thing called dispensationalism. Dispensationalism. And dispensationalism 
is basically a doctrine or a type of teaching that basically says, look, there are different phases of, of God's work. And so there was an old work, like kind of the dispensation of creation, where God was, you know, he was creating stuff, he was putting stuff together. And then there's another, another dispensation a little bit later, and it's really the dispensation of the law. So now it's all about the law and following the law. But then you get into a new dispensation or, or a, new, a, a new timing, and we'll call that the dispensation of grace. Where there, there's no law. God just wants you to be a good person. Can't we all just be good people? And if we're good people, we'll all get to heaven somehow because it's all about being good because right now God's just giving his grace. And that's not the truth. That's not the truth. And so it's kind of like this other pendulum. But at this, it's like, no, this is just a phase we're in. No, God is still God. Yes, he's the God of mercy. He's the God of grace. But he's still the God of judgment. He's both. It's not an either or. He's still the same God. And, that, and that's where, you know, you'll hear me tease or, or talk a lot about, like, you know, the idea that, you know, we have the old, the old man God in the Old Testament, and then you have the new Jesus in the New Testament, and then now we're in this mystical period of the Holy Spirit. And that's not true. God is God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so, and so as he reveals himself in, a, in, in a, a new way, or really it's not in a new way, as much as it is, it's, it's just adding uh, more context and more color to who he is. It's, it's a revealing, whereas before, and we're seeing his foreshadowing, we're seeing an outline of him. Now we get to see him in full living color. Every detail and everything makes sense now. But it's, it's the same God. God has not changed his character. So dispensationalism. So the, there's the swinging pendulum. And then there's this dispensationalism. Say that ten times. And then there's just flat out ego. I love one time. My, I have an aunt. And she, was, she had gone with us to a. Oh, I, I remember what it was. I was going to say it was a conference. But it wasn't. We had put on a play. And, and we used to be back in the day. Oh, my gosh. If you were in a church, you know, you were going to have a Christmas play and you were going to have an Easter play. And it was all hands on deck. Right. It was just like it was like, who's going to be Jesus? And it was usually some 15 year old boy that's being up there and he's, you know, covered in in food coloring. And that's Jesus. And, you know, and then and then, of course, then you have uh, two, you know, and he's usually the pastor's son. It was just, that's the way it worked. Pastor's son, 15 years old, you're Jesus. All right, and then, and then you had two other kids that were usually like the deacon's kids. And we all know deacon's kids are deacon-possessed, right? And so they, they're, they're, they're the bad kids. And so they're going to be the two, the two other people on the next, crosses next to them. But anyway, we used to do these, these plays. And we actually did, a, a, that would be an Easter play. And then we, we, we did Christmas plays. And we did one uh, called the Doo-Wop Christmas and it was like a, like, I don't know, like a hip-hop, beep, not hip-hop, bebop or whatever. I don't know. But it was like, you know, I don't know, poodle skirts and, and dancing and all this stuff. And I played a, a character, and, and his name was Buzzy. And he was kind of like a beatnik. And, uh, you know, I had my own song, My Friends All Call Me Buzzy. And here's the reason why. Man, it was just like, it was just this, it was a, it was a big production. And, uh, and, and the stage was like made like a, like a 50s or 60s diner. It was just the coolest thing. And so, you know, I had checkered floors. It was, the stage was redone completely. And it was like, I know that like church had blown its budget on this, on this thing, but it was huge. It was huge. We had like six services or six times that we did it. And, and we had all these throughout the days. Well, then we had people from all over the city and surrounding cities. And I guess this is like in the mid nineties, right? The mid or, yeah. I, oh my gosh, let me go off on this real quick. I heard the other day that if you were born in the 1900s, you are now being told that you were born in the late 1900s. 
I resent that completely. But I was born in the late 1900s and in the mid-1990s uh, is when this play was going on. And, and so we actually got invited to go to like a, a kind of a seminary or like a, like a, like a Christian a university type thing out in Dallas. And we did that. And my aunt went along with us because she did. She made all the costumes and all that. She's a great seamstress and all that stuff. And so she went along with us. And I remember her praying one day, and she was praying, 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 and very new to, to, to church, very new to Christianity, and, and she had the word ego on her mind, and it was just constant ego, ego. Why does the Lord just keep putting this ego thing? And, and one day in prayer, she just said, I know what it is. I know why God is saying that I have an ego, and, and he's saying it, it stands for... It, you know, he put this, this uh, meaning behind it or this, this, these three words of ego, edging God out. And it was, she said, that's what I do in my life. Every time God gets in, I somehow I edge him out. I don't push him out completely. I just edge him out little by little. If you've, you know what edging out, it just kind of like you, you push it over to the side and hopefully eventually it'll just fall over the edge. It's not, a, it's not, a, I'm just, I'm just inching him out of my life. So she would say this ego. Well, Ego, when it comes to this teaching of, of being nice, it, it really comes in the ego of preachers. It comes in the ego of Christians in that we edge God out in a sense that we want to be liked by the world. We want the world to like us. And we have this ego towards God like, God, I don't think you really know how to grow your church, Lord. So let me show you how to do it. I'm going to do just do this. I'm going to just teach about love and having good relationships, finding a man. Right? Cuz those are that's that's how you grow a church. Give as 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 it pleases you, but we're going to teach on being nice. I don't want to ruffle your feathers cuz then you won't come back. And I'm not going to teach about tithing because that's kind of offensive because, ooh, I know you have it really hard and you're really just trying to pay your bills. But I'm going to say, no, you got to give 10 percent. Ooh. But if I say, just give, just give what you can. The Lord sees your heart. That sounds so much better and pleasing and nice. Versus, hey, tithing isn't about how great you are. It's about obedience to a great God. That, that, that's a slap in the face. Or, or it is, or it feels like it, if, if you're trying to be friends with the, with the world, right? So here's, here's the problem. Is too many people want to be friends with the world. And, it, and it's and it's kind of like, and I understand it. It's not right. I understand it because I've been there where I, I want I want to please the Lord in private when it's just him and I. But oh, my gosh, when I'm around people, you know, who if I say this and, and I'm offensive, then they're not going to like me. And, and the devil has a field day with that. How are they? How are they ever going to come to church? When you're telling them this, 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 right? And so, and so we think that, okay, well, we've got it. We've got it. We've got a different way to do it, a better way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just love them into the kingdom. I'm just going to love them into the kingdom. And, and so many times, it, and, and I do believe in loving people into the kingdom, but sometimes what we're doing is we're, we're mislabeling love. Right, we're mislabeling grace. A couple weeks back, we were having a, a just a leaders meeting um, with the church, and 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 as I I, I kind of shared this with with you a couple weeks ago, but the question I ask is, the church is where it's at right now. What do we got to do to get it growing? Okay, there's two excuses that I've had. Number one is the first excuse was, well, we were in a little office building. How do you expect us to grow in a little office building? Meeting at five o'clock. Well, first excuse is out of the way. Now we're not in an office building. 
but we're still meeting at five o'clock, which brings me to my second excuse. It's an excuse, right? I can say, well, you know, that's understanding. It's five o'clock. Well, people are somewhere at five o'clock. I guarantee if the the World Series is playing at five o'clock, people are watching it. If the Super Bowl, if the, if the football or whatever, it's at 5 o'clock, people are somewhere doing something. I mean, if you want it bad enough, you'll be there. The question is, how can we get people to understand that they need to want this bad enough to be there? Right? So that we are making excuses. And, and, but one of the things that, that I, had, I challenged us in is, I think we've been too nice, or I think we've been too... Kind of wishy-washy, to be honest with you, when it comes to serving and giving. Because, well, we, you know, well, I know they're going through something, and I, I you know, I don't, I don't want to ask them to commit because, you know, it's it's hard, and there's, a, you know, I've just been really graceful. We've been calling it grace. It's not grace. It's been fear. It's been fear. We're mislabeling. We're calling something grace, and it's not grace. It's fear. If I confront them. What if they just said, you know what? Forget it. They don't appreciate me. I'm peace out. So, hey, we'll just appease and call it grace. It's nice, but is it loving? It's nice, but is it loving? And I thought about this this week, and I, and I came to this. You can only lead people to the extent that you don't need them. Speaking of not nice statements, you can only lead people to the extent that you don't need them. You are either leading people or you are needing them, but you can't do both the same at the same time. Let me tell you this. Many of you know my, my, my family situation. Okay? I'm divorced. And remarried. So we have a blended family. I have gone through hell with court, with custody battles, with all kind of nonsense in my life. And I've and it's been a very, very messy situation. Honestly, most people don't want to deal with us because of how messy that situation is. If I can be just brutally honest. Looking for mentors as a pastor has been hell because even pastors look at it like, that's messy. Do I want to put my name on that? Pastor Rudy was the only one that said, I want to help you out. I'm very grateful for that. But yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a hell of a thing. Now, let me tell you, the hardest thing that I've had to do is look at my kids and say, I love you, but I don't need you. I am not going to go chasing you. I'm not going to try to appease you back into this house. You want to go live on, on the other side so that you can do your nonsense and live a different life. You go ahead. You're still my son. You're still my daughter. But no, I'm not going to chase you. I love you, but I don't need you. To tell your kids, hey, you're going to bring some nonsense into the house? Guess what? You and your nonsense hit the curb. Not a nice thing, is it? One of the most loving things you can do. I want you to think in your life of the people that have pushed you the most, have pushed you to the hardest, to be something that you didn't think you could be, And I want you to see, were they very nice to you? They usually are not. They're usually the crankiest and rudest. Like like this person has no patience. And they push you to be something that you never thought you could be. Not by being nice, but by being real with you. They do it out of love. I look at Jennifer, my wife Jennifer, and, and, and I look at her career. And she always talks about Mona. 
And Mona is a, a good friend of our family. And, and, and let me tell you, Jen will tell you about Mona, how Mona pushed her, did, had a higher expectation over her than any of the people around her. Even the people that were over Jennifer, Mona came, bypassed them, and put an expectation on Jennifer that wasn't even in her job description, that she wasn't getting paid for, and she was being pushed to the edge. Here she was, single mom, trying to raise the kids, and this Mona is like pushing her. No, Jennifer, stop being this. No, I don't care. You do this. You know, you're going to stay late. If it hadn't been for Mona, Jennifer wouldn't be in the position that she's in now. I look at my life, my grandfather, man, my grandfather, I started working for him. I was 16 years old and he was 70. And I don't know at what age you just don't give a rip anymore, but he was definitely at that age. And I it see and from all, you know, intents and purposes of what stories he had been at that age for a long time already. But I didn't really grow up with that grandfather. I grew up with my grandfather on the other side. And so I really only knew him through work. And so I went to go work for him. And let me tell you, whatever rips were to be given, he didn't give in any of them. Because he just told me as it was all the time. And it was like, you know, hey, there's Paul's feelings just walk in the door. Let me stomp all over those real quick. And it was, and it was funny. It was kind of bizarre. I mean, I kind of, I learned so much from him. He pushed me to be something and to see something in myself that I didn't see. It, there was no, I could no longer be shy with him. I was very shy. And, and, and even now I'm very socially kind of awkward in, in, in open settings. And I'm kind of like a fly on the wall. Up here it's different. But, I, you know, just I'm kind of like I, going into a crowded room. I like to be off to the side and I'm of a kind of a people watcher and stuff like that. With him, I could not do that. He would let me tell you what he would do. He would come in, chew me out, cuss at me every word. Like it's like he had an alphabet and he just started from A and he just made up words as he got to Z. He just like let into me. He'd get to the end of me of chewing me out about something, which in some cases I had nothing to do with, but I just couldn't get a word in otherwise. Like, you be quiet. You don't need to be yelling at me. And then he'd get to the end. And he'd start yelling at me again for not defending myself. Are you just going to let people talk to you this way? I, I don't I think so. I don't know. What am I supposed to do right now? And he would just go, and he pushed me. And it was so funny. When I finally understood that he was trying to, in his own way, he, did, he, you know, he didn't know, you know, other than he was pushing me to do something. And, and, I, and it's funny. I, in the moment, I thought, my grandfather has been sent by the devil to torment me. It's funny, in the moment, that's what, I mean, just like, I would pray, Lord, Lord, this man. <laughs> I look back and I, and I see, oh my gosh, what the Lord did through him. Through him. Now, obviously, the Lord wasn't for all the cussing, all that stuff. The, the Lord's going to use who, he, who, who he's got to use. But I remember one day he was yelling at me about something. Yeah, I mean, really chewing me out. And I said, stop. Stop. You need to listen to me. I need you to hear me out. And I, and I gave him my case. Now, I, I wasn't cussing back. I wasn't doing anything like that. I, I was just letting my case on, on, on what I, a decision I had made, why I made the decision, why I felt he would have made the same decision. And so he listens to me. And, he, and <laughs> mind you, at this time, he's already like 80. Been, I, I worked for him for 11 years. He's, he's in his late 70s, maybe almost 80. And, at, you know, mind you, he's... he's 250 pounds, probably 260 pounds. It's like six foot two. I mean, he's a big dude. 
My grandfather's just a big guy. And, and I got none of that. And, and I remember him, he, he, I tell him this, he stomps his feet, he hits the table, and he goes to walk off. He takes about 10 steps, he gets to the door, and he turns around and says, it's about time. And then he walks out. Of which I'm thinking, he's probably going out to get a gun or something. But, but still, in the moment, I'm thinking, finally... But, but, but the Lord had used him to do something in me. And it wasn't by being nice to me. He was pushing me. He was pushing me to do something. Now, I'm not saying go out and find someone and cuss them out and say, I'm being sent by the Lord. Okay, don't do that, okay? I know, I know what you're thinking right now. I, I, the Lord needs to send me to my boss right now. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, notice there was a 10-year or a 9-year, you know, something that transpired where I had, to, I had to, he had to learn. I had to earn that trust of being able to say, stop, okay? Like, let's, let's not get carried away here. But... We need to be truthful. We need to be honest with people. We need to be straight with people. That's the most loving thing we can do. And, and, and whether that's being a parent, being a boss, or, or a supervisor, an employer, being a pastor, whatever that is, you cannot lead people to the extent that you need them. And what I mean by this is to the extent that you, you need them to like you. If you need your kids to like you, it's going to be hard to be a parent to them. If you need your employees to like you, it's going to be hard to be honest with them and truthful. You're just going to be nice all the time. Hey, hey, why haven't I gotten that raise? Well, you know, it's just, you know, things are tough right now. And, and um, you know, it's just, you know, the, the economy and man, that all sounds nice. No, the truth is you're not getting a raise because you're underperform every, every time. You show up late. You're the last one to show up. You're the first one to leave. No, well, you think you're going to get a raise. You're lucky you got a job. That doesn't sound very nice. But if it's the truth, you're helping them. And, and, and I'm telling you, let's not despise when people do that with us. It's one thing to say, oh, I'm doing that to someone. But when they come to you and they're telling you that, look, I just don't know why I can't find a man. Well, I, you know, I don't know. It's just, you know, I don't know. Well, you can't find a man because of bloop, 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 bloop. That's it. Forget that person. Out of my life. No, you needed to hear that. You needed to hear that. In Matthew chapter 10, I want you to hear Jesus, how loving he is. And this, now Jesus, you've heard him called the Prince of Peace, right? The Prince of Peace. And he is the Prince of Peace. But I want you to, I want you to read this. And this is something that's easy to overlook. It's so easy to overlook so many of the things that Jesus says. And I, I want to... I want to share a few of them with you. But this is one that I want us to think about for a moment. Now, understanding that God is love, Jesus is God, and so everything that Jesus says and does is done and motivated by love, by mercy, by grace, by justice, by holiness. It encompasses it all, right? Because anything that God says encompasses all those things because God is all those things, right? So, but hear this. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 32, we're going to end in verse 39. This is Jesus speaking. He says, therefore, anyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men... I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Not very nice. Verse 34. Now here's where it gets gritty. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. 
and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. This is Jesus being loving, graceful, merciful, holy. He's being the judge. He's justice here. But it sure doesn't sound nice, does it? It doesn't sound nice. But what is he doing? He's pushing. He's pushing you. He's pushing you and I. There's some other, other things. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 20. I'm excuse me, Luke chapter 12, verse 20. And in that, he, he's telling a story of a, of a man who... who was very dependent on his own riches. In fact, he, he was talking about, I'm going to build more barns because I'm more riches. And he was so caught up in his own riches. And he, tells, and he tells the story of how God told the man, you fool, tonight your life, your very life will be required from you. Not a very nice story. Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 25 talks about our authority and being able to speak God's word with authority. But in the beginning of that, Jesus curses a fig tree. He curses it. He goes to it to get fruit. And it's not producing fruit. And so he curses it. And they come back, I believe it's the next day, they come back and they're walking through and the disciples say, look, it's all completely dried up. He had completely cursed it just because it didn't produce fruit. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, and then again in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, we'll see where Jesus actually calls religious leaders a brood of vipers, a group of snakes. Now, let me ask you this. Is this motivated by love, grace, mercy, justice, holiness? Yes. Niceness? No. Niceness is not going to get you to heaven. There is no gospel of being nice. Okay? And we've got to be ready to receive it, but we've also got to be ready to give it as well. One of, one of the most interesting things I'll say, and I talked about it last week, a boss move. Jesus makes boss move when he changes Peter's name. Peter, uh, name is Simon or Cephas, which means a reed, you know, just a, a blowing reed. If you've ever seen it, like a stick, and then it has the, just the little, the brown top there and, you know, just blows in the wind. And that was Peter. He just kind of blew in the wind. Wherever, whichever way his emotions driven, drove him, it, you know, just went with the wind. And he was constantly going back and forth. Kind of like that pendulum we're talking about. He just, he's this way and then all of a sudden he's that way. And that, that was really what his name meant. But Jesus changes his name in, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 17 and 18 from Simon, which is the reed to Peter, which means the rock. It says this, it says, Simon, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, because Christ had asked, who do people say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. He changed his name to Peter. He said, for now on, you are the rock. You are the rock. 
That's in, that's in verse 18 or verse 17 and 18. Or verse 18, he says, I also say to you that you are Peter. Now skip down to verse 21 through 23 of the same chapter. Like five verses later. And it says this, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. How would you like that? Now imagine the pastor telling you this. Giving you a nice word. I know you've been going through situations, but let me tell you, I see you and you're the rock now. Unmovable. And then before the end of service, you are Satan. Jesus had not read the book on how to win over people and press them and and uh, he, he, was, he was not up on his reading. If so, maybe he would have done something different, but he was building his church. Now, let me tell you, how do you do that? He loved Peter. He absolutely loved Peter. Peter would go on to deny Jesus. Remember this? Jesus is standing before the judges it's an illegal court system. They're doing it in the, in, the, in the dark of night. And Jesus had even told them before, hey, Peter, y'all are all going to run from me. He tells all the disciples, and Peter's the first one to say, no, Lord, I won't run. In fact, I would die for you. And Peter said, uh, Jesus told Peter, no, 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 actually, in the morning, before the cock crows, you'll, you'll have denied me three times before morning. All your talk about never, you know, that you would die for me, you'll never reject me, you'll do it three times before the end of the night. And of course we read and we see where Peter denies him once, twice, a third time. He, he, he denies ever knowing him, ever meeting him. And then he hears the cock crow. Now, did, did God love him? Did Jesus love him? Absolutely. After the ascension, so Jesus is crucified, he's buried, and then he raises again. And so now he's, he's walking. He's walking about, and he's introducing himself back to the disciples. Hey, I'm here. They say, go get... Round everybody up and they say, even Peter? Yes, even Peter. And Peter has a conversation with Jesus, or really Jesus has a conversation with Peter in which he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. Then do this. Do you love me? Asked him a second time. Yes, and do this. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I keep telling you I love you. Then do this. So for the three times he denied him, Jesus gave him the opportunity to claim him again. The same Jesus that called him Satan loved him. He did everything out of love. If we are looking for niceness all the time, we're going to miss God's correction. We're going to miss His love, His loving affection, His true loving affection. God says, whom, he, Jesus, whom God loves, what does He do? Gives Him everything He wants? Bows to His every need? Cowers to, in the fear of what if they don't like me no more? He says, no. The, those who God loves, He corrects. 
So if you feel yourself being corrected by God, guess what? You can walk out of there saying, you know what? God called me Satan. Told me to, he rebuked me. Told me to get behind him. Oh man, he sure does love me. Because that's the truth. If God's calling you out, saying, nah, you, you got it wrong. It's because he loves you. The last question I want to ask is this. Well, two questions, I'm sorry. Do we look at our own sin as an offense and an obstacle towards God? Or do we look at God as an offense and obstacle towards our sin? Let me ask you, let me say that again. Do we look at God, I'm sorry, excuse me. Do we look at our own sin as an offense and obstacle towards God? Or do we look at God as an offense and obstacle towards our sin? In other words, I want fellowship with sin. But God keeps getting in the way of that. This whole thing, I could be sinning right now, but instead I'm sitting at church. You realize what kind of sin I could be doing right now, but instead I got dragged into this place. Or, I really want, I want a relationship with God. And this sin that I keep committing is in the way of that. Because whichever one is the offense and whichever one is the obstacle, that's the one you're going to work on getting rid of. And if God is in the way of your sin, it's only a matter of time before you start edging God out. But if your sin is in the way of your relationship with God, you're going to start dealing with the sin and you're going to you're going to enjoy it and you're going to find peace in it when people start calling out that sin because you don't it doesn't matter to you anymore because all you care about is getting rid of that thing. Because you know that that's in your way. Whichever one we see as an obstacle, whichever one we see as, as a, an offense to what we'd really want. That's what we're going to get rid of. And the last question is this. Are we motivated by saving grace or by saving face? What if God put it on your heart To lovingly go to someone and say, look, I love you, but I got to correct you. You're wrong in this. You're wrong. This relationship that you're in, not working. It's not right. You're out of order. You're out of line. This thing that you're doing, th these financial decisions that you're making, they're out of line. They're out of order. This thing that you're seeking, this approval that you're looking for, you're wrong. It's out of order. You're seeking after man's approval, and you need to start seeking God. Are you, if God puts that on your heart, are you going to do it? Are you willing to do it? Because that could be the saving grace that they need to save them from a world of trouble, especially if it's trouble that you've been through and you're going to watch them like, wow, that's the same cliff I went over. Let's see if it works out for them. All because you want, you'd rather save face. Well, you know, if I tell them that, then, you know, what if they don't like me anymore? And, you know, I mean... It's going to be awkward in the office or it's in the family reunion or whatever it is. I, uh, I'd rather save face than give them the saving grace that they need. Now, I don't believe that this is 
or should be treated as an excuse to be mean, right? I'm talking about going in a spirit of love and compassion and mercy that you call people out, but only if it's motivated by those things. If you're looking at what you're going to get out of it, you stop because you're making it about you. But if it's going to cost you something, hey, I love you, but you and I, we got to have a heart to heart. Marcus, do you mind if I share that story of, of you and I years ago? You do mind? Okay. I was going to say, well, I'm going to say it anyway. But. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm going to close with this. And please, please hear me out on this. Jen and I were engaged to be married about a year, 11 months. We, we I, you know, I you told you the story. We didn't waste any time, and we got engaged, and then the next, the next year we were married. Marcus was 17 when we were engaged. He had just turned 18 before we were married. Okay? I think you're a man early, 15 years old. I think you need to be started treated like a man. 13, 14, 15. Same with a woman. 13, 14. Now, maybe you can't be out on your own per se, but... You're, you're, you, you know what you're doing at that point. You're making decisions. You know what you're doing, right? 12, 13, 14, middle school, you start, you're not a kid anymore, all right? You still want to act like a kid, but you ain't a kid anymore. You look innocent, but we know your heart, right? Judgmental, young people, you know? <laughs> but we've been there, right? We know, I look back on myself and, you know, for a long time, I'd be like, you know, they're young, they're young. And then I'm like, wait a minute, what was I doing at that age? No, you know, it just... You know, they, I, I knew, you know, the little sinner I was. And so, and so uh, Marcus was, had just turned 18. Jen and I were married. Now we're under one, one house, one roof, blending a family. Well, we had our, the youngest was three. Rebecca was about three at the time. And then you had Marcus, who was the oldest, 18. So we have all of this going on, right? There's, and then Dell's a year younger than Marcus, and we have all, all young, right? The elementary age. And so here we are raising this family. Well, we've got to create order, right? And order comes from the dad. Order comes from the husband, okay? That's where the order comes from. And so I had to set the order. The problem is, uh, the problem was in this, in this case, Jen had been a single mom for about seven years at the time. So from the age of around 10 years old or so, Marcus is basically the man of the house without a man's guidance in the house. And so rebellion was, was the norm. It was the norm, right? And, and it was just the way it was. So, he, he, you know, of course he had guidance in church and whatnot. We had, you know, good leaders that were helping him, youth pastors, youth leaders, stuff like that. That helped them the best they could, but they're not his dad. So now I come in the picture, and we're laying down the law. And it's tough. It's tough, right? It was tough for me because I, I was now a dad of a teenager. I, was, I, I didn't have teenagers yet, not of my own anyway. I taught, you know, youth and stuff, not, but not, not of my own. But whether I'm used to it or not, I'm in charge. The, that's the Lord the charge that the Lord's put on me. Marcus had gotten a, a gift. It was around Christmas time. Marcus had been given a gift and, and he was demanding that he be able to come and get that gift. Jen and I were out eating. So Jen said, well, you're going to have to wait. And he didn't like that. So at that time, I was picking up my kids, blended family, you know, you know this Christmas, that Christmas, every other Christmas type thing. And this was a few days after Christmas. December 28th is what it was. And so it's three days after Christmas. I'm getting my kids. We're going to have Christmas together. Marcus shows up to get his gift. 
very unruly, just, hey, I'm here. I got my girlfriend waiting. Let's go. I need my gift. And, uh, and so kind of let it go for a little bit until he got a little bit more pushy, at which I, I stepped in. He kept going. And I said, stop, that's enough. I had some words with him. He would not leave. I physically removed him from the house, opened the door. We did the struggle because he, he's, he's a grown man. And he ain't going to be pushed out like that. And I'm a grown man and he's in my house. Right? So we're going to have a gladiator fight at the front porch. Right? So we're wrestling and tussling in the middle of the, in the, middle of the yard. He goes off, mad, angry, without his gift. They were shoes, by the way. Hits my truck, kicks it, I think, or punches it, whatever he did, drives off. He moves out. That day, he moves out. That night, he's, he's done. I'm not, I'm not going to live under that monster. I'm sure that's the nice version of what he was saying. <laughs> <laughs> That was tough, let me tell you. But it had to be done. It had to be done. Because of what he was bringing in, right? It was a rebellion bringing in. And I had to deal with it at that level. Just, and and I, Jen didn't understand. Jen was like furious at me. How dare you? That's my son. He's, Would you do that to your son? Yes, absolutely. Yes. That, that's, that was a son-father move right there. You will not bring rebellion into my home. Not at that point. At 18 years old, the government backs me up. You are now an adult. Okay? And that was, that was tough. Let me, it, it created a lot of tension within the house for actually a few years. You know, Marcus didn't want anything to do with the, me. And the, we actually went to Starbucks, and I don't know, and, and he'll, he doesn't, he'll not admit this because he doesn't want to admit that he wanted to go to Starbucks. But <laughs> he doesn't mind the rest of the story, but if I say, yeah, he, it was his idea that we meet at Starbucks, he's like, oh, my gosh, that's so embarrassing. It wasn't like a foo-foo local coffee type thing. It was Starbucks, national chain. He's far above that now as a coffee connoisseur. But we went, we, we met. I don't remember how long it, it was. I don't know, maybe a week or a couple of weeks, maybe a month. I don't even know. It was a, it was a little while after, after the thing. I don't drink coffee, so I have a hot chocolate. So I'm there drinking my hot chocolate. He's ordered his drink, and we're sitting at the table, and it's dead silence. And I'm just enjoying my little hot cocoa there. He's looking at me. I'm looking at him. I'm enjoying my hot cocoa. The longer we're sitting there, the f more furious he's getting. And uh, which I'm like halfway done with my hot cocoa. It's which like, son, what did you want to come talk about? To which he bursts. Well, I don't just see how you can come and put your hands on a boy when you're a grown man. Like, whoa, wait a minute. You were a grown man that day. Now you're a boy. You can't have it both ways. I love you. I love you, but it's not, this is not going to, no. If you're looking for an apology, you're, you come to the wrong place because I did exactly what I needed to do. I'm sorry it came to that, but that's what needed to be done. If you look today, at our relationship today, I can honestly say that Marcus is not only a son to me, but I love him very dearly, more than I ever thought I could. And he's a dear friend to me. 
and, and he's my favorite uh, worship leader. He's my, I, and I, I, I'm just saying, I'm like, not just, oh, okay, he's the only one. No, I'm like, of, of anyone, and of anyone that I've ever done ministry with, he's been my, he's my favorite partner in worship because of his heart. But the Lord did a wonderful work in his heart, and that would not have happened had I allowed him to grow up in the house being rebellious. I wish it hadn't come to that. I, you know, I'm sure there's things I could have done different. I'm sure there's things. I'm not saying, hey, this is the exact way to handle it. But the fact that I stood my ground had to be done. And the Lord's worked marvelously through it. The Lord works through order. The, word, the, the Lord works through love, through grace. But you cannot have grace without justice. You cannot have love without understanding of, of the, there's, a, there's a cost to this, okay? And, and you can't let people run over you, no matter if they're family or, or friends or what. You, you got to stand your ground as long as you're standing for what's right, okay? And you're doing so in love. You're doing so in, in, in because you want the best for them. And, and, and I say that that's, that's one of the more open open decisions that, you know, just because you, you can see that. But there's been other, other decisions in my life with, with my kids, with my family. I'll tell you, the, the, worst, the worst enemies in your life are, are the ones who want you to be what you used to be, which is usually your family and your friends. And ever since you started going to church, you just, you don't hang out with us the same. You just, Man, you don't, you're, you're just not cool like you used to be. You used to, we used to joke like this all the time. How come you don't like it now? It's like, well, because you're degrading me. I, I, that used to be funny for me because I didn't know any better. Now I know better. And I'm making a stand. And it's hard. It's hard. You, you, get, you get uninvited places. I remember even with, with my dad, my biological dad, I, I made a decision that I wasn't going to grow up like the family. And, and, and when it came to, to drinking and getting drunk and staying out, and so I didn't get invited. I just didn't get invited. You know, I, I could have gone and not, you know, done what y'all did. No, we just figured. I was like, well, I, you know, it was just funny. It was just funny how that worked. But, hey, that, that was the cost. That was the cost. And there's going to be a cost to following. And, and you got to be ready on both sides. One, you, you can't always be nice to people. You can't appease people and be pleasant with people all the time at the risk of, of not giving them the gospel. Okay? And on the other hand, when someone comes to you and is telling you like it is and it ain't nice, you got to be ready to receive it. Okay? Sometimes it's, you've heard the, the, the phrase, uh, you know, eat the hay, spit out the sticks. And that's what I had to do with my grandfather. The sticks was all his cussing and slamming his hand on the table. But the hay was there that I, I needed to grow up. I need to man up a bit. I know I went long, but I just, I feel like I should just share a lot of that. And it's a little bit personal, but, but Lord, we thank you. We thank you for what you're doing in this place. Lord, we choose you. We choose your word. We choose what you're doing. I thank you, Lord God, that you speak to our hearts and, Lord, decisions that we have to make, the things that we're going through and internally in our heart, people that we're dealing with, family members, friends, coworkers. Lord, give us the grace and the mercy to deal with them. Lord, the way you deal with us, you're, you're, you're true, but you're loving. You're merciful, but you're just. I thank you, Lord God, that, that we would be good, good representations of you. And we can't really look like you if we don't know the real you. Lord, as we move forward and we read our word, I thank you, Lord, that you would challenge us to hear your heart through your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen.
Hey, if this message or any of the content that we've been putting out has blessed you and you're wondering how you can partner with us in generosity, there are a couple ways to do that. You can download the PushPay app and you can search Marigold Church and you can give that way. You could also set up reoccurring giving and it's really user-friendly. It makes it really easy to give. You could also text Marigold to 77977 and give that way. We believe God moves through a generous heart and so we would love to see what God does through you as you partner with us and as we walk through this journey together.